Action Network Podcast. 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 If you are even remotely a savage, you'll run these people over in a second. Oh! Welcome to the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. Brendan Glasheen with you. Action Network's UFC betting previews are back. Joining me, two of Action's top UFC betting experts, Sean Zarillo and Billy Ward. We have a breakdown of UFC 284 coming your way. It's at the Perth Arena in Western Australia. Before we dive in, fellas, good to see you, Zarello. How's it been? I joke with Zarello. I was, you know, after baseball's over, I don't know if he exists, and he's here in the flesh. We're still writing MMA, but we have not had the chance to get back and join one another. So it's good to be back. What a card we're back for, too. Second time in UFC history, number one and number two pound for pound squaring off. So what a time to be alive. Billy Ward, good to see you. We'll have some NFL work. I mean, you're still doing NFL this year, but good to have you on the UFC front on the podcast. Yeah, you know, big sports weekend. We got a major pay-per-view and also a football game later on, so I'm looking forward to it. So before we dive into the event this weekend, just maybe a refresher. I know you guys are doing content over on the website in the Action Network app. You can download it for free. But folks listening to the pod that might be inclined to tune in to get picks, which we're we're getting to the picks, maybe a a piece of advice, Zarello, you'd give someone who might be new to betting UFC. Cardio is king. You know, the ABCs of MMA betting is to always bet on cardio. You will hear me reference cardio and cardio discrepancy a lot throughout these fight breakdowns. Not only does it lead into how I'm betting fighters pre-fight, it also heavily influences how I'm approaching these fights from a live betting perspective. And if you follow me on Twitter, I think there's a bigger edge live betting MMA than there is pre-fight. Billy, you got something? Yeah, that that actually lines up perfectly with with what I was going to say about the live betting where those markets are going to just going to be a lot more inefficient in a sport like MMA because we don't have live scoring. No one actually knows what the judges have anything scored at any given point. So imagine if we were live betting a basketball or a football game, but nobody could see the score. That's the kind of situation we're in. So if you have a good hold on, you know, how judges might see a fight or which fighter is in better shape, which one has better optics in the corner, those are going to be some big edges. Okay, good stuff. Those are some things to keep in mind. So again, in this episode, we'll be breaking down UFC 284 this weekend. We'll look at favorite underdog plays, props, and more. And then we'll get best bets from Sean and Billy. But first, we'll start with the main event. Makachev versus Volkanovski, lightweight title. The top two pound-for-pound fighters in the world. We'll find out who really is the best, I suppose, after this weekend. And, And when we do these main fights, just going back to previous podcasts, it's not always just picking who's going to win the fight because... Uh, Makachev is a significant favorite when you look at the money line pick, but uh, it's a chance for these guys to give you maybe a different angle to get an edge. So Zarillo, how do you want to bet the main event, Makachev, Volkanovski? Yeah, I like the fight to end inside the distance at minus 176 at Fandle projected this closer to minus 190. Wouldn't really bet it past about minus 180. That would be my cutoff price. I do think though, in terms of the money line side, Volkanovski is the value side. He's being disrespected here in terms of pricing, clear edge in the striking, likely in the cardio if he's able to extend this fight further into the championship rounds as amongst the best cardio on the UFC roster and isn't cutting weight here, so should be even better than it normally is. Would lean to him on the money line, would wait until closer to fight time, maybe you get a plus 350 or even a plus 400 if the line continues to blow out. 
terms of how he needs to approach this fight, I would actually expect him to be a bit more aggressive than he normally is. Big underdog, has nothing to lose moving up here in weight, needs to probably pursue the knockout. Otherwise, if he tries to stay on the outside, fight his normal game plan, he will probably eventually get taken down and have to work his way back to his feet. Should win the striking with the speed, jab, leg kicks, but I think eventually Makachev is going to catch one of those kicks and take him down or put him up against the cage and take him down. Makachev by submission would be the way I would prefer to play the favorite instead of the money line. I think that's a better price than his money line price. And if he wins, I expect him to get on top of Volkanovsky and finish him, but just bet the fight to end inside the distance at minus 176 and wait for that Volkanovsky money line to blow out a little bit further. All right, so Zarillo says Volkanovsky has value on the money line, and Billy, you're willing to go there now. Yeah, I'm totally with Sean on that. I guess slight disagreement. I think a lot of money is coming in on Volk. I was able to get him at plus 320 yesterday. I'm actually seeing that come down now, which is not normally what we would expect. You know what Sean's telling you to wait on the underdog towards the end. Usually very good advice. I think we're seeing a little bit of reverse. So just, you know, if you're out there betting it, make sure you're keeping a close eye on these lines because I wouldn't be shocked for it to go either way at this point. Uh, only points I wanted to make on Volk, you know, a lot's been made about him coming up in weight class. He's a big dude. He's not tall, but he's a big, strong guy. He fought as high as welterweight as a professional. I think he walked around at over 200 pounds when he was playing rugby. And this is only a 10-pound jump in weight class. You know, we saw Israel Adesanya go up to 205. That was a 20-pound jump from a not big middleweight, and he looked like a much smaller man there. You know, we've seen fighters do this in the past, but those 10 pounds between 45 and 55, those are really the two closest divisions proportionately in the UFC. So I don't think that's as big a factor as people make it out to be. Islam's not really a huge lightweight, and Volkanovski is a big dude. So if you're worried about the size, I don't think that's as much of a concern here. Volk also has a one-inch reach advantage, even though he's much shorter. So definitely worth noting for the striking. We'll have the speed advantage and the reach advantage. Moving on to our favorite underdog plays. We'll go to Zerillo first. I always love these because you guys really do some, uh, some, some deep dives and some edges that can be found. Yeah, I'm going with Randy Rudeboy Brown, plus 255. I believe Billy and I were both on him when he faced Chaos Williams. Uh, I can't remember if we disagreed on that fight or if we were both on Randy, but we both do like Randy as a fighter. A lot of fun to watch. Very smooth, very electric with how he approaches fights. And he has a lot of advantages here despite being a huge underdog. Four inches taller, five inches longer, better strength to schedule, all of the grappling upside. I think he's going to dominate in the clinch here if he pursues it. I think he's going to dominate on the mat if he pursues takedowns, you look at his fight history, doesn't generally pursue takedowns at a high degree or, you know, at a high pace. But I do think he knows what he's in for here against Jack Della Maddalena. Very one-dimensional boxer, doesn't even throw a ton of leg kicks. A great boxer, gonna hit Randy in the head, gonna hit him to the body, throws long combinations. Randy relies on head movement. I think Jack Della is gonna connect. But if Randy aggressively pursues takedowns, pursues the grappling, I think he's got a big advantage there in this fight. And I do think the striking is going to be pretty even other than the fact that I do have some concerns about Randy's durability. So plus 255, a lot of reasons to back Randy Brown. And then plus 1300 by submission, given that grappling advantage, I think is a solid play as well. Project those bets closer to plus 200 and plus 900 respectively. So solid value there on both bets. His, his nickname is Rude Boy and Rihanna's performing at the Super Bowl. It aligns perfectly. And he's, you know, he's from Queens. Well, not from Queens originally, but he has a history with Queens. I am from Queens originally, so got to back my guy. So Zarillo is telling you that don't be fooled by the the number on the on the 
as far as him being an underdog, there's some value there in that price. Billy Ward. Unless he gets folded quickly, you know, with a body yeah. shot or gets knocked out quickly, this fight is going to be much more competitive than the odds suggest, especially the longer it goes. Billy, where do you go to in the underdog market? Real quick on the Randy Brown fight. I'm mostly with Sean's read. This is just a tough one where I wish there was a easier way in MMA to bet on a fight to be closer than we think. Cause I don't really see Randy Brown winning, but he's so long and awkward and has some skills in ways that Della Madalena doesn't that I just really wish there was a good, like a point spread type way to bet, which some books are starting to offer. But I, I definitely agree with Sean that this is not going to be as much of a blowout as the odds would suggest. Is it? Is this going to come down to, to, to wrestling at the end? Is that, is that going to decide this? Yeah, I think if Jack can deny the takedowns and keep it on the feet, I think ultimately he does end up winning the striking. He probably figures out Randy's long, awkward approach because it is difficult to look good against them, and he ends up getting inside and hitting them. Because Randy, as I said, relies on head movement. Jack throws a lot of long combinations. So the end of those combinations, I think, will land because Randy just eventually will lean to the wrong side with his head. But... Yes, if Jack can deny the takedowns, I think he wins the fight. If Randy can get this fight to the mat, or if he can just hold him up the fence against the fence in the clinch, I think he wins the fight. All right, Billy, what do you got for us? Underdog play. Yeah, so there's definitely a couple other underdogs we're going to get to with other segments. One I'm looking at is Elvis Brenner. He's a shooter box fighter out of Brazil. He's plus 440 versus Zubair Tukugov, and I probably butchered that name. It's, it's not that I think he, you know, is necessarily going to win this fight. Those are really long odds for against a guy like Tukugov who is 2-2-1 two, two in his last UFC fights. He's not some dominating, you know, Russian wrestler like we see. I think he's getting kind of loop, lumped in with that Islam Makachev category of guys with just suffocating grappling. But he's not that level. He's not that good. And Elvis Brenner in his 13 pro wins, 11 submissions. You know, really solid Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt against a guy who's going to shoot and want to wrestle him. You know, I think he could catch something in there. I also like his submission props. You can see those as high as, I think, plus 1,100, maybe plus 1,000. So a little bit of a sprinkle for me. Don't think he's necessarily going to win, but those are pretty long odds on a guy who could catch a submission coming in. The guy's fight of the night, Emmett Rodriguez, the featherweight title is the fight we're going to zone in on here. We, it's basically the, the co-main event, but uh, it doesn't quite live up to the billing as the top two pound for pound fighters in the world. It doesn't get the same sort of love, but uh, that is what we've got for you this week as far as a fight of the night. Cirillo, how do you want to play this one? Yeah, it's a fake featherweight title fight. Interim title bout. Um, yeah, you're one. I, try, I tried my best with my tone to deliver that same. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm willing to call it what it is. Josh Emmett probably lost his last fight versus Calvin Cater. I was on Cater there, willing to be objective. Still think that Cater won the fight. And then Yair's lone win since 2019 came against Brian Ortega. I was at that fight. Ortega dislocated his shoulder in a scramble. So Yair got beat up by Max Holloway, has earned an interim title bout. Somehow, it is still an intriguing stylistic matchup. your speed, his kicking game from the outside against Josh Emmett's power and his grappling. I actually think Emmett has bigger upside to look like a huge favorite if he's able to aggressively pursue takedowns and create a grappling-heavy game plan over the course of 25 minutes. Yair's takedown defense is not particularly good. It's the reason why I bet Brian Ortega against him, even though Ortega isn't great at getting takedowns himself. But... Emmett typically doesn't try to grapple too often because it's going to drain his gas tank, puts power into all of his techniques, throws a lot of power behind his shots. There's also rumors coming into the fight that he's dealing with a hip injury. The line has blown out towards Yair Rodriguez. I would say Emmett looking at it without the hip injury, clear value side, having the hip injury rumors out there. 
It probably seems about accurate, but I do like the fight to end inside the distance. Bet it at plus money. Projected it at minus 115. I like it to about minus 105. Considering Emmett's power, the fact that he could get on top of Yair and finish him that way, and the fact that he's dealing with an injury, I think there's a lot of reasons and a lot of ways that this fight can finish. So if you, you shop around, the line I'm seeing right now for uh, Rodriguez is at minus 180, Emmett plus 155. So uh, yes, that would that would tell us that Rodriguez uh, is a favorite in this case. Uh, and I'm Emmett starting ran- to see some sharper books ticking towards minus 200, minus 215 on Rodriguez. So definitely think there's some sharper money out there that are that is clearly indicating something's off with the Emmett side. Okay. And look, he's... He's almost there in terms of the rankings right behind Rodriguez. He's captured five in a row. He's making a push here. So we'll see what that looks like. Might be something you might. Are you encouraging people if they want to play? I guess, is there an angle on betting Emmett on the money line if things shift before Saturday night? If you see him come into the fight, and this is where we talk about live betting, because some yeah. books keep live markets up in the middle of rounds. If you see him come out and immediately hit a takedown, or you see him come out and he looks like he's moving fine, you could take a shot on him at a live price at around the same odds pretty quickly into the fight. So something that you can observe and fire on, you know, gather information and fire on rather quickly into the fight. Because if he hits a takedown, yeah, you're going to be in trouble. Billy Emmett Rodriguez, do you have? Uh, are, are you hyped up for this one more than Zarillo? No, I, I pretty much agree with Sean. It's it's tough because it's an intriguing fight between two guys I like to watch. There's also no reason it should be for an interim title fight. One, we don't need an interim title fight because Volkanovski is stepping away for one fight. Two, if we were going to do one, it probably shouldn't be these guys. It should be Max Holloway and probably Arnold Allen, who I believe are fighting each other coming up. Those two guys are pretty clearly, you know, the next best featherweights out there. But, you know, not the point. It should be an entertaining fight. Um, To your point about, you know, if we see the line move on uh, Emmett, I used to think like that, but we've seen so many lines move because somebody had some inside information, a lot of money was coming in. I'm too scared to chase that, you know, reverse line movement in the UFC at this point. If I see a bunch of money come in on Rodriguez, I'm going to think there's probably something to that. But outside of that, I'm in lockstep with Sean. I think does not go to a decision at plus 108 at FanDuel right now. Very solid bet. Uh, our colleague Dan Tom did a breakdown of this fight. That was his pick, too. I think it's a really hard fight to pick a side on. I think both those guys made some really compelling points. So I'm going to take it to end in a finish. And then that way, if one fighter's injured coming in, we also got really good. Uh, we're, we're protected against that because if one fighter's injured coming in, probably ends in a finish. Yeah, and I, you know, if you're going to play a side, I like either fighters, finish props, knockout for Yair or inside the distance for Emmett. Okay, good advice. Despite the, uh, again, I think in some cases, you know, you want to get on something early. And in this case, to Zarillo's point, you know, you might want to wait with uh, some sharper money coming in uh, on the other side when it comes to Emmett. Or we need more things to shake out before the, before the, the weekend gets really going here. Uh, this is always fun, the prop market. Zarillo, what did you find as far as uh, something you liked uh, in the prop market for this weekend? Yeah, so we talked about cardio earlier, and that's a a place where there's a big cardio discrepancy between two fighters where I'm going to look to play late props. Round two, round three, finish props for one fighter. So the Jamie Malarkey versus Francisco Prado fight. Prado, the early finisher archetype, 100% finish rate coming off of the regional scene, never faced a UFC opponent. And when we see these debutants take a step up against UFC caliber competition, have a 100% finish rate, when that finish doesn't come early for them, 
they tend to fade in the later rounds and eventually get put away. And Jamie Malarkey, the exact type of fighter who it's going to be a nightmare against because he tends to push a pace with his cardio, with his wrestling, and build and get better as his fights go. So Jamie Malarkey in a spot where you absolutely want to bet him to win in round two at plus 550 or in round three at plus 1,000. He could be a slow starter. Prado can absolutely clip him, but the longer the fight goes, the more Malarkey should drown him with pace. If you're at a book where you can play a same-game parlay with Malarkey in the over one and a half rounds, that's about plus 130. I think that's an interesting bet as well, but the round two, round three props just a bit juicier for me, plus 550, plus 1,000 respectively. Billy, what'd you find? Yeah, perfect lead-in for mine because I'm looking at a fighter who has all the upside early, and if he's going to win, he's going to get it done soon, and that's Alonzo Menafield. He's fighting Jimmy Crute. You know, Alonzo has, I think, all but one of his wins or finishes, and all but one of those are in the first round. Big, strong guy, super jacked up, can't believe he makes 205. All that muscle uses a lot of energy and doesn't last very long. So right now at FanDuel, you can bet him to win in either round one or round two. You get both at plus 270. That's certainly one way to play it. To Sean's point about the same game parlays, under one and a half and his money line, similar concept. I don't want to just take round one because he's probably going to get wrestled by Crude a little bit. Round two is going to start standing, and he's going to be a little bit fresher with a minute off. So I want that opening of round two as well. But I also really like Menafield here, you know, just kind of his underdog money line play. Crew comes and throws really heavy kicks, really heavy punches, but he leaves his hands down and doesn't move move his head well. Against a guy like Menafield, who has tremendous power, that's really not a good combination. Menafield's also another example of the shorter height but longer reach that I like to reference. Because he's shorter, he can carry more muscle and still make the weight class. But because his arms are longer, he also can control the distance, hit Kroot from a range where Kroot can't hit him. And if you guys, you know, anyone looking to bet this, go look up a picture of these two guys. You'll be very surprised that they're in the same weight class. Menafield is massive, but only six feet tall with long arms. So that works out really well here. Doesn't project well for him down the stretch if this fight makes it past six, seven minutes. But if we're going to play Menafield, we definitely want those early finish. I think that's a great breakdown by Billy. I just want to add, because we talked about cardio and Billy talked about cardio, the way I would approach the fight, because I'm not betting a pre-fight, is to wait until after round one to lie back crew. Maybe he gets bonked in the first minute of round two, as Billy said, but I do expect him to have his most success probably in the second half of the fight. So I would want to look to live bet him after round two, hopefully after Menafield wins round one. Yeah, I, d- I did the uh, preview piece for that fight, and that was my take as well, is that, you know, Batman field early, Crute late. If you're not watching the fight, maybe you take Crute and over one and a half, Crute in round two, Crute in round three. If you're going to be watching the fight, that live line's definitely the way to go. Crute also coming back off of a leg injury too, so another thing where can kind of gather information early, see how he's moving. Okay, and based on the odds, it looks like we're, this could hover around five, six minutes. I think I'm just going off of the the, the, the betting odds here, and then couple rounds yeah Menafield is he's basically a coin flip to finish inside the first seven and a half minutes every time finish inside the first round every time essentially and then it sort of comes down to his cardio and how it holds up after that all right good stuff so again more live betting opportunities uh for this for this particular event okay we wrap as we normally do with a best bet for UFC 284 at the Perth this weekend we'll go to Zarillo first then Billy Another tremendous live bet, but a bet I like pre-fight as well. Parker Porter at even money against Justin Taffa. Taffa, a very one-dimensional power striker. He hits hard. He should have some success early, but the longer the fight goes, the more I think Porter should take over. More volume, better cardio, all the grappling upside. 
And with Tafa, his first level takedown defense is okay. But once you break through that defense, he is an absolute fish on the mat. I think one takedown defense is enough to win a round, if not the fight for Porter. And another thing that goes against the Tafa side, once you get him tired, he does not carry his power. There are other fighters like Derek Lewis, who when you get them tired, they can still hit really hard and put you out. Justin Tafa's power fades very quickly. So I think after the first couple minutes of this fight, Parker Porter is pretty much out of danger here. I think he is going to drown Justin Taffa with cardio. Why better after round one? Certainly a great spot. I expect Porter to win round one, though, unless he gets knocked out. So Porter, even money pre-fight. I made him closer to minus 120. Feel free to bet him up pre-fight to minus 110. All right. And Billy, what do you got? Best bet. Yeah, I'm looking at the other fight that's roughly a pick as we've seen throughout the week. That's Melsic Bagdasarian versus Josh Koulibau. This line's bounced around a little bit. You know, at certain points, you've been able to get both fighters underdog money. But this should be a pure kickboxing matchup. You know, Melsic Bagdasarian, former K1 kickboxer, former professional boxer. Koulibau has a few fights in the UFC, has never so much as attempted to take down. I think that's a pretty bad matchup for Koulibau, you know, against another high-level striker like that. Koulibau in his UFC wins, he's 2-1-1, one, one, but he has a split and a unanimous decision win. Bagdasarian has a vicious knockout and a pretty dominating unanimous decision. So, you know, when we got a guy who's a pure striker but doesn't really have a ton of finishing upside, that's not someone I want to bet on, especially the way fights are judged now where that damage optics is so important. I think no matter who's touching each other more, Melsic strikes are going to look like they're doing more, which may or may not be fair. You know, we're working against the home judging for – uh, Bob, but I don't think that's going to be as big of a factor. So Melsic has all the volume upside. He throws a lot more strikes. His strikes at least appear to be landing harder. It basically a coin flip. I'll take that. I'd take him down to about minus 120, but shop around because this one's gone all over the place throughout the week. All right. Good stuff. Gentlemen, great work as always. That'll do it for the UFC 284 betting preview on the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. We'll be joining you more regularly now throughout the UFC season. So uh, good to get back underway, shake off the cobwebs, heading into Super Bowl weekend, but also the big event in Australia. Find more from Sean and Billy. You can find them in the Action app, actionnetwork.com. Uh, strongly encourage all of you to uh, take a look, follow those guys, and you can get uh, the free award-winning content in the Action Network app and get some more of their picks if indeed they go to the live betting market. Again, we talked a lot about live betting. That's a great opportunity to find what those guys might be doing. Best of luck to all of you with the picks this weekend, and we'll see you next time on the Action Network Podcast. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.